Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. We're going to go to Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. And I want to share with you a little bit of a story that's quite interesting in the scripture. It's um, something that transcends the actual story. And it has principles in it that fit our life today. And I hope to help us in some way to put light in a situation that may seem like a dark situation, but God always gives you the opportunity to carry an onboard light. Amen. As long as you stay plugged into God to your energy and your power source, you always have the chance to turn on a light in a dark place. And that's what I wanted to have happen here. I want you to see that Jesus put a flashlight in the disciples' life and that they just didn't recognize it. So we're going to get to that. So I want you to open your mind a little bit and help me to preach this particular passage of Scripture and understand that God never sends you into a dark place without a light in your life. Amen? All right, so let's go to the word of the Lord. And the, and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all the things, both what, what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come eat yourselves apart into the, a desert place and rest a while. They went there to rest, but the people followed them. And so he said, For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. So what had happened is Jesus commissioned them to go out two by two and to, to, to pray for people and to carry the gospel. And they came back and they were telling Jesus all the things that happened from that commission. And then it says, And they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw them departing, and many, and many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all the cities and went and and out went to them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were all sheep. They were like sheep or as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was far spent, everybody, everybody say it's time to go home. His disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place and now time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages that they may buy themselves bread for dinner. It's dinner time. For they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give them to eat. And he was like, ah, Did you hear what we just said? We want to send them away to eat because we don't have that kind of money. We don't have a place to get food or buy food. It's in the city. They need to go back there. And he, they said unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread? That's like a, a year's worth of salary to them that they might have to eat. And he said unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And then they went and they looked, and they found five loaves and two fishes in the crowd. So I want to talk to you for a little bit about put some light on it. They did not understand what God was doing here, and I hope to help you understand uh, in your situation, in your present moments, God will always give you something from your past to give you strength to get through what you're going through right now. That's my key, that's my key big thought here, and I want to help us do that. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask you to help it be light to our life, lamp to our feet. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the house of God. God bless you. So the story goes that Jesus is 
ministering here. And if you understand Jesus, you know that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are called synoptic Gospels. They match each other in so many ways. And the only difference that they have is that the author himself was uh, specific in certain areas. Like Luke was a doctor, so therefore he wrote very precisely the, the accounts of what happened. But all of these different books are talking about Jesus's ministry from the age of 30 to 33. It was three years of ministry, and they're accounting the different stories, the stories that seem to be epic, you know, as it were, the ones that were that were big and, and amazing, and what God did from them had other had had meaning far beyond the, the actual story. And so, what's taking place here is Jesus is is telling his disciples, "Let's go and rest." But the people know of Jesus now; they've understood that he's able to heal and he's able to deliver. And they've heard about the woman with the issue of blood. You know her story, where she had an issue of blood. She had some sort of bacteria in her bloodstream, and it caused an internal hemorrhaging. And she had been bleeding for twelve years and seen all of these doctors and couldn't get an answer to her situation. And she found out that Jesus is a healer, and so she snuck up on him in a crowd and touched the hem of his garment and God healed her. There was virtue that flew from, flew from or, or flowed from Jesus to her and he turned around and said, somebody's touching me. And a crowd full of people that were bumping against him, rubbing against him. There was one person that came for a different reason. They didn't come just to hang out with Jesus. They came to get something from Jesus. And I hope you come to church the same way. Not just to, to hang out with a crowd of people that believe that they're Christians and want to serve the Lord, but you come to touch Jesus. Jesus, to actually feel his presence and to know that he's here and to be with him in a way that says, I come for a reason. And so they knew about this story and they were coming to see Jesus and they saw them leave out. So they followed them on the shore. They just literally went around the shore and Jesus was moved with compassion that these people desired him so much. So he began to heal them. How many know that whenever you start to talk about Jesus and the word of God, sometimes it falls on deaf ears if people have very large physical needs? That's why you often see churches with other, with other ministries attached to them, like soup kitchens and things like that, because they understand that the model of Jesus is you heal first, you help first the physical needs, and then you help them with their spiritual needs. That is a model that Jesus often exemplified. And so that's what he did here. He got off the boat. They're supposed to be going with his 12 disciples, which is like his executive board, you know, the, the people that hang out with him all the time. And they get off the boat, and all these people are there, and he's like, like, move with compassion. He begins to heal them, and they're touching him, and they're, they're getting their healing. And then all of a sudden, they realize that they're, they're, the day is far spent, and the day is done, and they don't have any food for these people. So in the scripture, you understand Jesus's ministry flows through the very big stories and very, uh, very beautiful stories. One like Nicodemus who comes to Jesus in the dark of night, in which that story very much encourages me because it means that whenever you don't know how to get to Jesus, if you just come to him any way you can get to him, he will respond. Amen. So Nicodemus was one of those people that were that was a Pharisee. He was very judicious about the law. They believed they had to live out Moses's law very accurately. And so he did that. And he was under pressure at the time to, to discredit Jesus and say that Jesus wasn't a man sent from God. Jesus wasn't the son of God. And so he followed, he followed what Jesus was doing and he snuck up on him in John 3 in the middle of the night. And Jesus explained to him that if, if you want to go to heaven, you're going to need to be born of water and of spirit. And, and he was, he was, Jesus was speaking a spiritual word, but, but Nicodemus was applying it to the natural life. Sometimes 
oftentimes when, when you look at the stories in Scripture and the, and the places where God gives illustration, there's, there's, there's an attempt of Jesus to take people who are very surface thinking and very natural thinking. He's using their natural um, situation to try to explain a spiritual concept. And so what he told Nicodemus thinking because he was a spiritual leader that he would understand that it was a word for a spiritual connotation. Instead, he applied it back to a natural connotation. He said, how am I old and how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? He said, I'm not talking about natural birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth where everything in your past is different and now you're new. You're born again. You're fresh. You're made new in Jesus Christ. He was talking about that. And that's one major story that we take and we use to illustrate to us that we need to be born again of water and of spirit. And then there's another story we hear about a woman sitting that, that came to the well and Jesus was sitting on the well in Samaria. He was on his way to a crucifixion. He was on the way to the cross for us. And this woman came in the middle of the day. She did not have a reason to come at that time except for that she was an outcast. Normally women come in the morning. All of them gathered together. It was a social event. They would meet in the marketplace and they would all go out to the well together because one, that was protection for them. Number two, it protected their reputation because everybody knew where they were. And number three, it was, it was something that they enjoyed. It was a social acceptance. The women went to the well and got water and brought them back to, to serve their families. That was something that they did in that time. But she came at the hottest part of the day, at noonday, and she met the Messiah on the well, the first place where you see Jesus, the well, sitting on the well. Amen? The living water. And, she, and he said, if you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give, you'll never thirst again. And her, in her mind, she did like Nicodemus. She thought it was a natural thing. Well, you don't have a bucket. The well is deep. You can't draw water. How are you going to do this? And she was saying that this water quenches natural thirst. I have the ability to, to get this water out of the well. And Jesus is like, I'm not talking about natural water. I'm talking about a well that can become inside of you where the Spirit of God fills you. And then you have a life spring, like the church's name. You have a life spring inside of you of living water that bubbles up and, and encourages you and brings joy in places where it's difficult. Yes. And so God was trying to put light in dark places. Amen? He was trying to give her light. And she was seeing it naturally, but she wasn't seeing it spiritually. But then when she did see it, the story goes on, Jesus ministering on and on, all throughout many stories in the scripture. And we get to this story, and he's ministering. And he says, the people are hungry. In fact, the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, Master, um, you've been long-winded. <laughs> people are hungry. They want to eat. And Jesus says, well, give them food. If they're hungry, feed them. Let them eat cake. I don't know. Something. And like, Jesus, we don't have any food, not that much food. Do you want us to go buy food and bring it to him? We would have no way of doing that. We don't have that kind of money. And so he was like, well, how many are there? He said, well, there's 5,000 men. So they didn't count the women and children. They only counted the men in that day. It was a, it was a society that, that, that was focused on men. And so there's 5,000 people. Some scholars say there was up to 15,000 people here in this story. But they only counted the men. And I find it interesting. Isn't it amazing that the miracle came from a place where they didn't count? Isn't it amazing that sometimes in our life, we get to places where God will do something in our life and God will bring a miracle to our life in places we never counted on? 
And God will use things in our life. And the, the important thing to understand is that God has amassed a large crowd because he ministers to people. And I, I just want to take a moment and let you know that he didn't have a church logo. He didn't have a website. He didn't have worship software that didn't work so well today. <laughs> he, didn't have, he didn't have a worship band or, or screens and lights and fun things to do on a Sunday. He didn't have warm, a warm place inside a building. All he had was the fact that he, he could heal people and he could deliver people and his word brought life to people. And over 5,000 people gathered just in the hope of maybe hearing the words of life echoed to them through a crowd. Maybe he didn't even have a microphone, but maybe somewhere they would hear just a piece maybe just a sentence, and that was enough to bring them life and hope and joy. That word from God was enough to give them strength and sustenance. They were more interested in what God would say to them and what Jesus would say to them than what their actual food would be for that day. The, the day was far spent, but they weren't interested in going and getting dinner. They were more interested in being near Jesus. And I think that's great to know because the Bible said that we are supposed to love him so much that we want to, that we want to be near him and we want to be close to him and that we should be interested in every word that proceeds out of his mouth. Amen, somebody. And that's where they were, that they were so interested in what Jesus had to say that he didn't even have to have a place to say it. They just met in the wilderness. And so Jesus says, hold on, I can do a miracle here. I can do something amazing. In fact, one, one synoptic gospel, I believe it's Luke, says he asked Philip. Anybody read that? He asked Philip, how are we going to do this? And the Bible says that Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he asked Philip the question. Has God ever asked you a question he knew the answer to? Have you ever felt like God was testing you in a way and you're like, Lord, why, why is this even necessary? You know I have faith in you. You know I trust in you. But yet God sometimes wants to know what we're thinking. Amen? And so he asked the question, how are we going to feed him? And Philip is trying to come up with an answer. And God knows Jesus is God in flesh. God knows that there is a little boy whose mother packed him a little lunch that they forgot to count. And so they find him. In fact, one translation, I believe, or one synoptic gospel says that Peter found the boy. And Peter brings him to Jesus. And Jesus says, that'll do. Little is much when God is in it. Amen. It's so funny because whenever you, whenever you see what God does with a little bit, you know he can work in your life. That's encouraging to me. If you only have a little bit of faith, he can move mountains in your life. If you only have a little bit of obedience, that's, that's what he was looking for them to do. It's just, it's just bring to him what they had and he would take care of the rest. And the beautiful thing is that whenever Jesus had the fish and loaves in his hands, it was two fishes. I always remember it because it's harder to get two fish than it is five loaves. That's how I remember the story. Like it's, it's more difficult to go catch two fish than to bake five loaves. So I was like, it's two fishes, five loaves. They bring them to Jesus. They say, this is all we have. The little boy gave all of his lunch. That means he didn't have anything. He gave up everything that was his in order to feed everybody else. And Jesus took it and he blessed it. And I want you to know that there's a very strong spiritual concept there that Jesus in blessing the actual lunch of the little boy, he was blessing what was not enough. And before the miracle of multiplication takes place in your life, you have to learn how to thank God for something that's not enough. You have to spend time going, Lord, I know the budget's tight, but I thank you for a job that pays.
I thank you that I can get up on Monday and I can go to a place that I can work. And I thank you for the, for the good things that you're doing. I know that teenager's not living right yet, but I, I believe God's going to do something. There's still word in them because they were in church before they left. And I believe and I thank God for not enough right now because I know God's going to do it. Maybe you have a relationship that's not enough. Have you ever thanked God for that and then watched it turn around? Have you ever had a moment where you had not enough and God did something powerful in that situation? Until you learn how to bless God for not enough, you won't see the multiplication miracle. I, I tell you that the summation of everything that is in your life has to happen. You have to know what you have before you can understand and pray for what you don't have. And sometimes we spend time in church praying for what's next and praying for what we want to see from God and praying for what we believe in God. And that is good. But I wonder if we've taken time to thank God for when we didn't have enough and when he got us through anyways and when we had the moments of difficulty. I come from that back so that speaks to me because I need a God who is faithful in the little. And so we see an accurate account of the number of people, the number of fish, and the number of loaves. There's an inventory taken of everything. In fact, he says, have them sit down in 50s. So Jesus didn't take the number of 5,000 men. He said, there's more than that here. I haven't forgotten the women and children. He goes, have them sit down in groups of 50. That's everybody. He took into account everybody. The miracle that he was bringing was for everyone. This miracle is synoptic to the Holy Ghost being poured out in the book of Acts. You have to understand that the miracle was going to happen and that God was going to bless the few and spread it to the many. Do you understand what I'm saying right now? You know you've read the book of Acts, chapter 2. In the upper room, the Holy Ghost fell, and when they spread out into the city and began to worship God and speaking in all languages, that, that that miracle in a little place spread to a great place. And I want you to know to whom much is given, much is required. I realize that. That's the scripture. But when you celebrate what God does in a little place, it cannot be contained. I wish I had an amen right there. It cannot be be contained. When you get excited about the small things that God does for you, it will spread into your work life. It'll spread into your home life. It'll spread into your children's thinking about God. It'll spread into everything in your life. And people will look at you and say, how did you get where you are? How are you so blessed? And you can say, because whatever I had, I thank the Lord for it. I put some light on it. I, 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 I spent some time saying, it might be a dark place, but I'm going to light it up, amen? I'm going to say, this is a blessing from the Lord. It may not look like a blessing to you because you don't know where I came from. But if you knew where I came from, you know how blessed I am. Can I take a personal moment? When they do those things on TV where they have people that are come breaking through that picture of them and it's like this wide and they come out and they're like this wide or some of them are, are really big and then they come out and they're still a little bit big and you're like, why are they celebrating? And then you, if you miss the picture of what they look like before, they can be down to 250 pounds, but they came from 600 pounds. You know, the celebration often comes in your life from where you've been. And others can't always see that. They don't always get to see the before and after in your life.
So I, as a personal moment, I was watching one of those and I missed the before picture. So I didn't understand the celebration. They were so excited. They were so happy. And I, I'm not judging or anything. I'm just saying they were so happy about something. And I'm like, okay, what are they happy about? And then I saw the before picture and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's where they came from. That's, you know how hard it was for them to get to where they are. No wonder they're celebrating. And so you come to church sometimes and you look at people and you don't see their before picture. All you see is them standing there going, Woo, I praise the Lord, I've got light in my life. And, and they're like, why are these people swinging flashlights around? Why are they so happy? And they're praising God over a song and, and what, what is going on here? Why are they, you didn't see the before picture where they came from. You don't know what it was like when they had darkness and that's all they had. You don't know what it was like when they had to get out their Bible and find a promise from God to light something up that seemed like a dark moment and they took a promise in their hand. They said, I don't know if, if God is the same yesterday, today and forever, then his promises are still true. I'm gonna shine some light on my situation. I'm gonna take this promise. I'm gonna put it in my heart and I'm gonna live on the fact that somebody can walk through a dark place and have a light because I know my before and I'm thankful for my after. <laughs> Growing up in a home that had a lot of abuse, people don't understand. They just, they come to a church that's, that's starting and growing and they see somebody in a suit and tie and they think, how did you get your seminary degree? Where'd you go to? What, what's your background like? And they don't even know that I had a parent, a mother that didn't know how to have good relationship. They don't even, they don't even and I honor my mother. I love her absolutely. I'm crazy about my mom, but she didn't know how to keep a relationship together. I had a stepdad that went to jail for 14 years for abuse. They don't know that you lived through some things that you lived through. They don't know the God you had to hold on to to get through some of those things. So don't judge me whenever I have a dark moment, but I'm just walking around swinging some light of the word of God. I'm going to shine light over here and I'm going to shine light over there. And if it looks like it's dark, just let me tell you, I've been in darker places. I've been in worse situations situations. I've had times when I didn't know if I could get out of it on my own, but I came to the Lord in prayer and I came to his word and light shined in my life and I found a way out. Amen. He was a light unto my path. We talked about it, that he lights our ways so we can take a next step. He doesn't light everything up for us. He just lights up your next step. And if you're obedient to, next, to take the next step, he lights the next one and the next one. He won't tell you everything you have to do, but he'll give you something to light up your life. And that's what happened here. They're, they're going through a story, a situation, and Jesus blesses what's not enough. And that's, and that's the beauty of the situation. The multiplication did not happen until Jesus broke it. Have you ever been broken before? The truth of the matter is you can add up everything in your life and, and, and you will know and I know that some of the most amazing miracles that happened in my life come from broken places. Some of the things that I'm able to minister to and help people with is because I have empathy for where they're at because I was there. Not exactly the same, but I knew what it was like to be 
pushed down. I knew what it was like to be scared of somebody in the house. I knew what it was like to be fearful as a boy of your dad. I knew what it was like to have things happen to you where your dad is drunk or where there's things going on in the house and you don't know how to live any different. And in fact, all you know how to do is try to survive. Is any survivors in the room today? Am I talking to anybody that came from a broken place? You came from a place that was difficult and hard and you don't even know how you got out, but somehow somebody came along someday with a word from the Lord and began to shine in your light and said, I know a way out. I know you can repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. I I know you can be filled with the Holy Ghost. I know you may have come in a dark night, Nicodemus, but there's a place to be born again. You don't have to live under the heritage of a curse. You can live under the promise of Almighty God. You can be a child of God and take on the air and the authority and the power that comes through the cross in his death and his resurrection, and you can be new in him. You can have all the heritage of Jesus Christ and all the blessings that come from him. And so he takes it and he breaks it. I've been broken so many times and snapped and twisted and turned. And I thought, I thought until this story, till digging into the story, I thought those were moments when he was killing me. I thought those were moments when I, things were just dying off my life. People left my rela- relationships, left me, people left. I've even had families leave this church and I'm like, Lord, why is that happening? And the Lord has showed me different times where he's going to let them come back and we minister to them again and we help them again. And there's reasons that we don't, we don't always know, but if you let God be the God of, of blessing. If you let God be the God of the broken places, he'll give you great blessings in your life. His promises are best lived out through the places that we were broken. And somehow we see greater things in God when we've been through the greatest trials. The lessons are in the leftovers. That is what happened in this story. So Jesus breaks it and multiplies it, and he doesn't just break it and give it to the people. He breaks it and gives it to his disciples, and they give it to the people. It's an example of networking. It's the first example of networking. (laughs) It's where you get, if you try to help everybody, you'll get so busy, you'll have no time for yourself. And so what God says is, through this example, he says, create a system by which you can help the masses, but not expend yourself to the point where you're exhausted. He said, my disciples are 12, I am one, but I can break it and multiply it and create the miracle through them. That's exactly what he says to the church. He wants to create the miracles through you. He wants to do the work, but he wants you to be the one that reaches out and hands it to the person that needs it. He wants you to be the one that takes it to the person that is down and out or is struggling or in difficult situations. He wants you to be the miracle carrier from the God who can do the miracle. And so that is what he does is he works through them and he's trying to teach them that I'm not the only one that you can do it too. And so then they give the food out. You know the story. They all get fed. And if you were a person sitting in the crowd and said, no, mm-mm, I don't take food from disciples, only Jesus. If I'm going to get fed, it's going to be Jesus. Feed me. If they got stingy about who brought them the miracle, if they got stingy about where their blessing came from, they would have starved to death. But instead of forcing someone to have Jesus bring them the food, they received it from one of his disciples. 
I want you to know that sometimes your miracle is going to come from a place you weren't expecting it. It's going to come through the hands of somebody you weren't expecting it. In fact, the Bible says that he'll give us blessing through men in life. And that means that he'll give us blessing through our connections in life. How many have been praying for something, for God to do something, and you get a bonus at work? Or you get something come into your life? I was praying, uh, this is weird, but I was praying, because I'm kind of weird sometimes and awkward, but I was praying and I was like, Lord, how am I going to clear this? driveway when winter gets here. I don't have a snowblower. I don't know. I don't want to spend $1,200 on a snowblower. So I get, I, I, I get in my van and I'm driving up the road and I go over the hill and there's a brand new snowblower sitting on the side of the road with a flat tire. And I'm scratching my head going, they must have just left it there because there's no snow outside. There's no snow anywhere. There's just a snowblower on the side of the road. So I go, you know, one of those, one of those miracles you have to confirm. I go to the door and I ring the doorbell and I'm like, snowblower, no snow. Are you guys getting rid of that? And I wanted to check because I'm like, are you for sure? Because it was brand new. It literally was a year old. And I'm like, it just has a flat tire. So I put it and they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, can you help me load it? <laughs> Sorry, taking too much from my miracle. I'm getting all that miracle that I need that I don't want. Can you help me load my blessing too? No, sorry. We just only give it to you. So we loaded it in the van. I took it to my father-in-law. He fixed the tire. He brings it back. I've snowblowed my drive yesterday with it. I got it for free off of a prayer. But the prayer was answered through a neighbor that I didn't even know. Driving down, if I had been so arrogant that I had to go to Home Depot and buy the best and the most brightest and the most beautiful and the most bedazzled and the most sparkling... That's where my brain went. Yes, bedazzled. The most beautiful thing is that God will answer your prayers through somebody else. And you have to be willing to accept it, that it came from the Lord. Because it did. It just came through a channel you weren't expecting. And that's the beauty of this story. These, this story applies to your life, whether you want to, want to accept that or not. You have to say, Lord, I'll take it. Even if it's from a pastor at a church that I'm not used to or that I'm visiting, I'll take this word because I know I need to receive something into my life from you, Lord. And if you give it to me through a pastor at LifeSpring today, praise God. If you give it to me through somebody that shakes my hand with a smile and they're just happy to see me and I feel encouraged, I'll take the encouragement. Take it from where you can get it. If the Lord's sending it, just take it from where you can get it. Amen? And so then the story goes on and they're done with the miracle and they gather up 12 baskets. Can I ask you the $60 million question? Is God precise? Is God accurate? Did he form the tabernacle by specifics? Did he tell Noah how to build the ark by specifics? Is he a precision God? Then why did God in flesh miss by 12 baskets? If he knew how many people were there for the miracle, why did he miss by so much? Have everybody, anybody here ever been to a fancy restaurant? You know where they bring out the plate and it has something on it this small and they charge you $300? Have you ever been there? It's like that, you want to go put some asparagus and some glaze on that or something? I don't know. It's not worth that. Take it back and put something on it. Bring it back. A good chef can take account of who is to eat and can, and can fix a feast with very little waste. But God in flesh misses by 12 baskets? Oh, no, he didn't. The leftovers were actually the lesson. Yeah. 
Because when they got in the boat and began to cross the sea, they got into a storm. And what God was trying to teach them was that the miracle of your yesterday is supposed to encourage your faith for the miracle for today. That is so good to me. I can, I can live on that for a week. That somehow in my past, there is something that was lit up by God that will light up my tomorrow. There's something in my past that God has put some light on it. Amen? That God has allowed me to see him work. And in his working, I have not only the answer for a past miracle, but I can reach back and get strength from that testimony and live out an overcoming life by the word of my past testimony. How many know that's where revelation ends up? When we get to heaven, the Bible says that they overcame. You can give me that scripture. That's fine. Revelations 12, 10 through 11. It says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and by the word of their testimony. How many know you don't want to live your life only with just word in front of you, but you want to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if he's ever lit up a situation in your life, that miracle back then is good for a miracle right now. Amen, somebody. So I come, I come to say if the devil knew any better, he wouldn't have given me any past miracles in my life. He wouldn't have got me out of the situations I was in. He wouldn't have let me come out of abuse. He wouldn't have let me come out of places where you're not supposed to come out of statistically because all of those things back there allow me to light him up every time he comes into my life, every time he brings doubt or he brings hurt or he brings a thing, a situation into my life. I can say, guess what? I know how to fight you now, devil. I've been through some things before. Sometimes people blame the devil for too many things. I get that. Well, I had a flat tire. The devil was after me. No, you never replaced your tires. My car broke down. The devil just had, had me strung out all week. No, you didn't maintenance your vehicle. It's a mechanical item. It's going to break down over time. So you know the story. The man walked out of church, and he saw the devil crying on the front steps of the church. He said, What's wrong? And, and Lucifer said, I'm just so sad. And he's like, why, why are you so sad? You're the devil. You're supposed to be being angry and ugly. And he's like, because they're blaming me for everything in there, and I didn't do it. Sometimes the enemy does attack, though. And just as you get dressed naturally in the morning, you're supposed to get dressed spiritually. You're supposed to put on the armor of God, Ephesians 6. And we spend more time sometimes dressing up and looking cute forgive me for saying it, then we do putting on our spiritual armor and then we walk into situations and wonder why we can't work the works of God. We can't live in our faith. We can't see the miracles of God take place. And I wonder if maybe we're trying to fight a fight with someone who has more experience than us. And in this situation, if you look at verse Number 32 of this chapter, you can read it for your homework, and I'm trying to wrap it down here for you because I, I know there's championship football games that start in an hour. <laughs> Just kidding. But what we need to understand is that Jesus speaks to them. In verse 32, he says, For they consider not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. 
they didn't see the blessing that was in their boat. In going through life, if you don't live understanding the magnification of God's power in your life, comes through you living on and understanding that he had scraps left over. The leftovers was not for them to eat, I don't believe. Because when they got to the other side, they went right to ministering. They left the boat with the blessing. They went right to ministering to other people. I believe that the hard bread and the leftover fish was simply there as a lesson for them. That if I got you through that miracle, I can get you through the storm on the seas. Sometimes Jesus feels like he's far away when you need him to be close. I realize there's moments like that. Jesus was up on a mountain because the Bible says when they saw him do the miracle, it set it off. It set his ministry off. It, went, it was going to go everywhere. He was sending over 5,000 people home with a piece of his miracle in them. That's the Holy Ghost right there, amen? He was, sending, he was setting a new day. And so they tried to gather, they tried to go after him to get him and make him their king. So he exited into the mountains to pray. And the disciples got in the boat and went across the sea. And that sea is known for several things. Number one is whenever the demoniac from the Gadarenes came to Jesus with what was legion, or 2,000 devils apparently. Could be more, could be less. Legion is an increment of the Roman army. 2,000 men or more. And Jesus said, who are you? And he said, I am legion. The demon spoke out of the man. Interesting thing is 2,000 devils couldn't keep him from coming to Jesus' feet. I'll shine some light on that right now. <laughs> that means no matter where you come from, nothing can keep you from getting to Jesus. Amen? I'm so thankful that, it couldn't, that my past couldn't stop me. And when he cast the demons out of the man, they said, don't cast us into outer darkness. They were speaking to Jesus. They said, cast us into these swine. They were all pig farmers around there. And so there was a bunch of pigs. And he said, to 2,000 2, demons, one Jesus said one word, go. <laughs> go. And the demons left the man. And they went into the pigs. And the pigs had enough sense to say, I don't want to live with a demon. And they ran off the cliff into the same sea that these disciples are now floating through in a storm. It was the first case of... Um, <laughs> I, I won't say the joke. It was the first Bay of Pigs, I was going to say, I think. And that's the first time pigs flew, so... So maybe, maybe, maybe when they saw Jesus and they were scared, they said, it's a spirit. Maybe they were remembering that Jesus cast out all those demons in that same sea. And maybe they thought it was a spirit coming to torment them. And instead, the Bible says that Jesus was walking on the waters to them. And they thought it was a spirit. In fact, it says that he would have passed by them. Why is it that Jesus comes near and doesn't come to? Why is it that sometimes in our life we're praying for something from God and, and he comes near to us? And why is it 
that he doesn't just outright answer the need. It's because God is always waiting for an invitation. I was talking with a friend about that last night, that God is a gentleman, and he's waiting for your invitation. And so when they turned and they saw him and they were fearful, he said, be not afraid. And he entered the boat and the wind ceased. He spoke it into existence. So when Jesus got in the boat, the winds and the storm ceased. That tells me it wasn't really about the storm as much as it was about them trusting in him because his, he was the answer, amen? I often tell people, what's your question? I already have the answer. His name is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And John said he's the light of men and he can light up any situation in your life, amen? Would you stand with me today? And so he said, you, you were afraid and you were desperate. Can you imagine them just like, you know, bailing out the boat? <laughs> if only Jesus were here. You're with 12 baskets of miracle that reminds you of what God could do and they never even considered it. Sometimes what we have to sustain us is actually a miracle for our tomorrow. And that's what I wanted to say is that if you feel like you're in a place where you cannot go on, just put some light on it. Just go seek the word of God and find a place where God did something and then claim it for your life. And say, God, I want this to happen in my life. And it came to pass that when they landed on the other side, that, that, that they landed and they, there was people that drew near to them and when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him. And they ran, I'm reading at the end of the chapter, and they ran through that whole region round about and began carrying about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whether he entered into villages and cities and country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment, the hem of his garment, and were made whole. He said, I know what you did. I know the miracles you've done before. Why were they trying to touch the border of his garment? Because they heard of that little woman with an issue of blood that had touched Jesus's garment. If you know anything about the Jewish culture, they have a garment that they wear under their clothing and it has a tassel that hangs off of it. I used to travel a lot and I'd see these coming at me in the airport all the time. Jewish men with their cap on and there's this tassel hanging out from underneath their suit jacket. And the tassel tells them that, tells everybody that they are in covenant with God. Yeshua, Hamashiach, they are in covenant with their God. They're in covenant with El Shaddai, which actually means overflow. So here, after all the miracles, they're, these people are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They're reaching back to a previous miracle where a little woman with an issue of blood touched and they said, if we could just get them near Jesus, they can do the same thing. That's what I'd like for you to do today is if you find a story in the scripture to say, if I can just get near Jesus, he can do the same thing for me he did for them. The beautiful thing about that garment, that Jewish garment is that with those tassels, we were talking about this in life group, the threads on those tassels were 39 intertwined threads. 
And when she touched what's called the zitzit, it hangs off the corner of their garment. The corner of their their garment has a little grommet in it, and it's, it's tied on to that. And that's called the kanaf, that area. And the whole garment is a beautiful garment, but everything in the garment represents a covenant with God for the Jewish people. And that tassel is wrapped in 39 cords, and it's the same amount of stripes that Jesus took on the cross. So when she touched the hem of his garment, and when they were attempting to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, they would have touched that tassel that was hanging out that was prophetic of someday he's going to take stripes for our healing. They were touching the place where Jesus was going to show us that for his stripes we would be healed. So they were not only reaching to a past miracle of a woman with an issue of blood, they were touching something that but talked about what would be, talked about the healing that he would bring. And when God brings light into your life, he doesn't just give it to you so that you can live on it today. He gives it so that it can be a miracle for you tomorrow and that it can speak to the future of your life and change it and put it on a completely different trajectory. That is what God does in his word. All of that in one story. That's amazing. I wonder if maybe we could thank the Lord for the places that he put light in our life right now. Would you bow your heads with me, Jesus? This story today brings to us a decision. We have to decide that we want to invite you. Maybe there's someone in this room that got looked over. They weren't even counted when it came time to count up the people that were important and maybe they're one of those people that actually had the miracle that you wanted to use. They were like that little boy that didn't even, wasn't even considered but yet he was the one that God chose to use. There's someone in this room right now that was discredited, that was not counted, but yet you're gonna use them for great things. There's somebody else in this room that that needs to hear that you are a light in their dark place. There's someone else in here today that needs to hear that they need to look at all the things that you've blessed them with and say, thank you, Lord, so that you can create multiplication in their life. They need to sum up all the blessings so that you can take it and bless it and multiply it. I pray for a multiplication in somebody's life today, in their finances, in their relationships. I pray for light in their life today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to open this altar if you want to pray. You can come today in Jesus' name. You silence fear. Jesus, Jesus. The darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus.